Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Tate, the founder and president at Zazun. Tate, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I like the uh, 1 million to 1 trillion. Awesome. <laughs> no pressure at all. Yeah, no, no pressure. <laughs> That's great. And there is a story, you know, that there are very few companies in the tech sector that were able to be valid at one tree. So we want to create uh, more of those. There is no single company who ever achieved one trillion in sales, tech or non-tech. I think that the, the largest one is still Walmart at half a trillion. Uh, so that, that's kind of the inspiration. And it's good that you ask that or that you highlighted that. So I can explain again why I start the show in this way, because especially for the ones who are listening this for the first time, or even for the ones who are loyal to, to our podcast, they almost forgot why we introduced the show. Uh, I, and... I, I I like it. I like it. It's, it. it's kind of in line with that big, hairy, audacious goal, right? Exactly. You got exactly. to have that big stretch target. Trillion might be a big, big stretch, but uh, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> and, and that's a good introduction. So I, I'm certified in, in the in the Scaling Up framework. There is an amazing book, Scaling Up, from Vern Arnish. And, and Tate, you also apply the, the same framework at, at Zizun. And one of the main concepts is to have this big, hairy, audacious goal about the big long-term vision and how we track that big long-term vision uh, in the present. So everyone gets excited about that uh, long-term vision. But with that, it was a great intro to get to know more about you, uh, Tate, and, and your story, uh, and how it did you end up starting uh, Zazun. Yeah, the founding story, the origin story. It's always, it's always <laughs> a fun one to tell. Um, so I grew up, I'm, I'm Canadian. Uh, and 100% of, of Zazun's business is in the U.S., okay? So just to kind of to delineate that right away, we're we are a, a U.S.-based business, but I am Canadian, and uh, I'm, I'm in Canada at the moment. About half of our staff are here. Um, in Calgary, Alberta, right? In Calgary, Alberta, correct. And then we're, we're a remote We love team. to share where people are located because we have so many people across the world in the show that it's always a celebration to diversity on this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's awesome. And, and I mean, especially, you know, for, for us, like we're, we're a remote team. Uh, we're Calgary-based, but we have staff all over, um, all okay. over North America. Um, but so, so kind of going back to my Canadian roots, I, I grew up on the West coast of Canada. Uh, I grew up in the commercial fishing industry. Um, and so as a right. 13, 14, 15, 16 year old kid, uh, I, I, I would go out on fishing boats and um, I'd convince my teachers at the time, you know, this was before remote work was a thing. Um, mm -hmm. I'd convince my teachers, Hey, can I take a month off school and wow. go do uh, go out on the fishing boat for a month? Um, and thankfully I, I got, good grades at the time. And, and uh, those good grades, by the way, didn't always stick with me. I, I did not get good grades in university. Um, <laughs> but but, but uh, that's, that's maybe another story. So uh, yeah, thankfully, they, they let me take time off school and ended up, um, you know, uh, amassing quite a bit of capital or quite a bit of money as, as a young kid. Um, mm -hmm. And when I was 16 years old, uh, my, my dad had a friend that needed a second mortgage. And looking back on it, you know, it, it was really just my dad's way of sort of introducing me to this concept of like leveraging your money to make money. Um, and so at the time he said, hey, would, would you like to do the second mortgage? Uh, and, and, you know, you'll get a check back with interest. And I thought, well, you know, is this dangerous? And he's like, no, no, just, just do it. And so I did <laughs> it. Um, a year later, I, I got a check back with interest. And I thought, wow, this is a pretty cool way to make money. I just give money out. And I get more money back. And so I went a little bit crazy with it. Between the age of 16 and 23, I, I lent out a, a little over a quarter million dollars in the form of mostly short-term, wow. small-dollar loans. So we're talking like anywhere from $500 to maybe $5,000 for a period <laughs> of uh, a couple of weeks to maybe four, five, six months. And uh, uh, I did this all through Craigslist. So I'd put an advertisement up on Craigslist. I'd sift through hundreds of emails and I'd ultimately, you know, meet with wow. different people and decide whether or not they should get money. And the, the 
interesting thing happened while I was doing this, right? Um, again, putting yourself in my shoes as a 17, 18 year old um, mm -hmm. kid, I, I didn't really have context of like a steady paycheck. I didn't have context of um, people, you know, getting ahead of themselves in, in, in pay or, or whatever else that might be. And so to me, I'm looking at all these individuals that I'm lending money to and I'm thinking, wow, you all make fairly decent incomes and right. yet you're needing $1,000, $2,000 to get by for a period of time. And right. of course, this uncovered this entire like rabbit hole for me where I would just, I, I researched this concept of short-term cash flow constraints. And what that uncovers, of, of course, is, is payday loans, overdraft fees, title loans, an entire industry that's built around those living paycheck to paycheck and charging egregious fees for access to short-term capital. And really, Zazun was, was the, the, the thought experiment of like, can, can we do this in a better way? Can we provide that right. same sort of utility, but can we do so in a way that is really, really responsible to the consumer. Right. And that's ultimately what happened, um, you know, and, and since, since then, you know, it's, it's completely, uh, it, it's shifted into this state of earned wage access. And we only mm -hmm. provide employees access to the pay that they've already earned, but have not yet been paid for. Um, and that gives them that short-term relief over their cash flow, helps them avoid predatory products. Uh, and it's this entirely new industry, which didn't even exist, you know, seven years ago, which is so, so cool. Right. That, that's an amazing story. And uh, what, it, what is really incredible is that, uh, and you, you have it on your own LinkedIn, that more than 50% of North Americans live from paycheck to paycheck, right? So this can really make a difference. And it also taught, it, I, not, I, do, I do not want to be unfair, but it also talks about, the, and I'm including myself here, about the, all the financial education that we all need in order to better manage our careers, our uh, our finances, to not be in in those situations where uh, we might be lacking the money. And of course, this solution that Zayzun is uh, is offering uh, helps us to be able to have access to our income. Uh, by the way, a little bit earlier because we have also worked. Uh, so we 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 have delivered work before we received the paycheck at the end of the month, right? So we should have access to that uh, work that we have already delivered, uh, and uh, and that's a great way of. What what is your position on 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 this? Also, the democratization of financial education and the need of financial education for for the masses, right? Financial education is is. Uh... I'll say financial education, but in a, in a broader scope, maybe just like financial behaviors. I think financial yeah. education typically gets lumped into this, um, lumped into this bucket of like courses and, and, and um, right. financial literacy readings, things like that. So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll kind of expand financial education into this broader bucket of um, like behavioral changes, uh, automation in someone's financial mm -hmm. lives, things that can um, you know, ultimately put them in a better financial standing. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, I mean like that, that, that is the most important part, right? Like I, I say that, I say this very often, earned wage access is, is a really amazing product and it helps save our customers hundreds and hundreds of dollars each year on fees that they would otherwise pay in, in, in other areas. Right. But it is a reactive product. Um, it is something that someone finds themselves in a, in a, Cash flow crunch. They now need to to, to take an advance. Um, it is not proactive, and so when we think of proactive and what we really want to accomplish over time with our customer base as we grow and as we you know grow towards, as you said right. in the beginning, that trillion dollar company, our our bag <laughs> is to ultimately yeah. improve the financial lives of our customers. And so, yeah, that that includes oh, you know cool. behavioral nudges. It includes um, how can we actually make our customers more money? Is there ways that we can improve their income situation? Mm -hmm not just their right. cash flow situation. Um, and so uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rambling with it, but there's, there's lots of areas. And yes, like to be very short, um, that is the most important piece that, that really should be focused on. Love it. That, that's a great point. And I, th I think that's a good uh, adds up because, because we see that as humans, we tend to adjust um, our, let's say, the, 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 our cost of life to 
our income. So if we increase our income, we will increase our costs. And, and in that sense, we always end in this perpetual uh, situation where we are always missing those 1,000 or 2,000 and, and the number is, or the 10% the or 5% of the income that, that we are missing to make them off, right? So, so 100%, I, I, I think it's, I think it's um, you know, maybe more and more uh, income becomes an issue due to inflation, rising housing costs, things like that. Um, that's, that's but I, I always do like to say that it, it is it is oftentimes not an income issue, but a cash flow issue. And so if you can figure out a way to better your cash flow, earned wage access being one of those, but the big piece of that is like, what can you spend money on? What can't you spend money on? Being financially educated, as you say, that's ultimately what put someone in a better financial standing, right? Um, and improves yeah. that cash flow over time. Uh, something that's uh, been, I've been hearing people that, for instance, who are very disciplined with, with their money, who, who use credit cards, for instance, to pay all their expenses, but they will pay 100%, of course, uh, on, on, on the deadline. And, uh, and in that sense, they would have maybe uh, uh, an holiday uh, paid, right? So in... And, and it would be the same money that we you will spend, but you need to have, to be in the in the level of and, and you you were right. It's not only financial education, is uh, behavioral. Uh, it's kind of being because sometimes we how many of us know that if we go to the gym, if we eat well, we will uh, lose weight. But how many of us are able to do it right? So sometimes it's not only education; it's also, as you said, the discipline, the behavior. How, how do we change behavior? How, how do we start applying all those techniques? The automation about having ten percent of all your income directly sent to a, a savings account and then using that savings to start investing and investing maybe you will not know what you will do with your first investments and maybe you will lose money with your first investment but you start you start being the shipment and you learn you start learning about what to make with what to make with that money but anyway this is not a financial education uh episode and and but but i think it's it's important to uh talk about this and that if i was able to talk with my younger self I would have started even earlier um, taking care of my of my finances and investing my money and being able to be less dependent, especially because, and I was making the point because of the stats that you shared, right? That more than 50% of the North Americans live from paycheck to paycheck. And I think it's it's a kind of modern slavery um, as well. Uh, and I think that we we all deserve the freedom and the, at least the optionality to say, look, for the next 12 months, I will not work on this company because I'm having awful experience or I will look for another opportunity for my career. And having the luxury of, of saying during the next 12 months, I'm fine because I have the, um, the, the capacity to, to make that decision. So, and, and for the ones who are not seeing, you have uh, an amazing swag t-shirt with Zezun, uh, the earned wage uh, access, the, the category. And I was just commenting before the show that uh, it didn't seem swag, which is quite amazing, the, the, the great work that your branding team did. Yeah, yeah, thanks. We, um, we kind of discovered, you know, the, the, the team jokes that uh, Zezun is, is really just um, a company where I can make t-shirts. Uh, it, it, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a distraction or the, the, the long con, you know, the, the long con of it all is that I'm really just wanting to, uh, you know, start a t-shirt empire, um, or, or, a, or a, a, clo a, clo a clothing empire. Um, but, but, uh, th there's a lot of value to it. So, so yeah, th this, this swag that, that I'm wearing right now, um, is, is like a, you know, nicely designed Zazun shirt that sort of mimics a, an athletic wear appeal. Um, and whenever we have good interactions with partners, whenever we're on a good podcast, whenever, you know, you know, whatever it might be, we, we send these people uh, a promo code to our online swag store. And then people are able to, to actually purchase something on their own accord. They don't just get something random that we send them, right? They're actually able to go through and have that shopping experience. And Amazing. we've found that our, our employees love it. We've found that, you know, our partners love it. And um, honestly, it, it's so much fun to sort of have this creative outlet uh, where myself and 
a couple of people on the marketing team can kind of go, okay, like, what do we want to design this month? Like, what do we want to put up there? And what do we want it to say and everything else? Uh, fun concept. Amazing. And you are just connecting back to, to the audio in, in, in the podcast. And uh, with that, let's get back to, to the story. And uh, so when did you guys start? I know in, in 2014, uh, what is your founding team? Where are you in terms of the, the stage of growth? Sure. Yeah, we, we started in 2014. There was um, what we like to call a drunken walk for many years. And so officially 2014, I was still working, uh, you know, a full-time job elsewhere. Um, in 20, midway through 2015, we raised a little bit of family and friends financing. We launched our services in 2016 in Canada. And then uh, at the end of 2017, we said, you know what? We got to shut Canada down. We went to a conference in the U.S. We came back with more more handshake deals than we had in Canada for the previous, you know, year and a half in in a three day period. And wow. we thought U.S. is, is the <laughs> place to be. Like, not only is the population there, but the the amenability to to actually like um, adopt a, a a brand new service like this is there. And that's what we did. We shut Canada down. Um, and ever since 2018, we've, we've been full on in the US. And so I kind of like to think of Zazian as sort of two founding stories. 20, 2014 to 2018 was this sort of four years of trying to figure ourselves out, figure out exactly what the product was going to be, um, figure out what, what the channel and the avenue is going to be. And, and then in 2018, it's when we took all those learnings and really applied them. And since 2018, um, of course, you know, our, our business is, has been booming. Um, the, the whole concept of our business is predicated on partnerships with payroll companies. And mm -hmm. so we partner with payroll companies of which we have about 150 of them across the US. Partner with payroll companies, uh, we leverage that distribution network to the client. So a client might be, you know, a McDonald's, uh, uh, KFC, it might be a mom mm -hmm. and pop um, cafe or a, a large manufacturing plant. We leverage that, that payroll, payroll relationship to the client. And then we put up lunchroom posters, we send emails and the employees at that client end up using us. And so there's kind of this waterfall effect and that took a very long time for us to perfect. But the, the, the goodness of it is, is of course, you know, the harder things are to build, build um, usually it means the bigger your moat is and the stickier your product. And so we think we've, we've kind of done a really good job in that area and, and sort of that long tail is now starting to play out whereby, um, you know, we, we more than quadrupled revenues last year. Um, our, our employee base grew from 37 to 80. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's really starting to pay, pavements or rubbers hitting the road, I suppose, as the saying goes. Amazing. So it seems that from 2014 to 2018, we have been on kind of the search mode exercise. And the good news is that you didn't raise too much money that would uh, kind of put you a lot of pressure to, to speed up the search. And we know that you, you, we can speed up the search, but if, if there is any variables that are not correct in the equation, you will not find product market fit as much money you put there, right? Uh, and, and you might kill the company uh, raising too much too, too soon. So that's another story after 2018 uh, where you, you, you found product market fit and you were able to raise uh, $40 million plus in, in, in capital so far. You said 80 employees, you quadrupled revenue um, last year. And super interesting, your goal to market. But can you precise the ICPs more enterprise, mid-markets, both? So small business, uh, what is the kind of the ideal customer profile uh, for Zazun? Yeah, very much small business and medium-sized business. So um yeah, if you think about who we're partnering with on the payroll side of things, it's typically uh, it's typically regional payroll providers. These are firms that pay somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand businesses, um, okay. and those thousand businesses normally have around you know 150 employees on average each. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of those are going to be you know, very, very um, much, much smaller. And a lot of them are going to be much, much bigger, but about 150 on average. And 
A lot of that is, is an employer that has multiple locations. So um, our, our bread and butter and, and kind of the, the classic uh, customer that I like to say is McDonald's. Uh, we'll partner with an employer that has five, six, seven McDonald's stores. Um, we offer all of their employees access to their wages early. And those employees, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so that, that, that's sort of the distribution. Got it. This, this is quite interesting because it's it's almost finding uh, a channel in order to get to your ICP at scale, right? So, which we know uh, sometimes it's something that only meets to late stage companies are able to really start developing the channel or or the partnership layers that really works. Until then, it's mainly inbound and outbound that are into play. It seems that you guys were able to get into the channel strategy very early on, and it's helped you, or it's it's helping you to have more an exponential uh, growth instead of uh, building a huge uh, outbound. And, and I don't know even even if the economics would work, right? Because we know in a lot of business the economics, the CAC LTV and uh, CAC payback and then so on. Uh, do not do not work depending on the ARPA and uh, and the ACV size, et cetera, et cetera. I know that I'm talking a little bit technical, but I no, I know no, you. Uh, yeah, yeah, you. you, you is hit, falling. <laughs> yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. Really, like um, our our business is channel sales, and it took a long time to to really build that credibility, build that trust, and honestly build that playbook. Um, and so we That's always right. call it that long tail effect. And um, you know, 2018 to 2020 was really like just sort of one foot in front of the other, trying to make it work, trying to really perfect that. Awesome. And then that long tail took off and that exponential lift is there. And um, yeah, it's, it, it's been, it's been a, a beautiful business now. Uh, but like you said, it, it just from a cost of acquisition, a, a CAC perspective, the LTV yeah. that we received from a business, um, it, it, the, the economics are beautiful. Um, yeah. I think it's it's important to say because nowadays we live sometimes uh, I know that there is some correction nowadays but uh, there is still this hype that everything happens super fast and uh, if your company is not being a success in one year or two uh, you will not be able to get to to series A or to series B and to, it's you should shut up the company and there's a different way and also we are seeing this tendency of raising pre-seed too early and now seeing a new trend of the ones who have the luxury to raise, to, to skip pre-seed or to raise uh, the first in, in institutional round much later in the process. So they have the freedom to be in the search process and to not be to not have the pressure or, or the knife uh, close to, to their heads and, and not being able to think and, and really uh, understand what is the best for the customer and how we will be able to scale uh, and, and grow the business by serving the customer. Yeah, we, we didn't prescribe to the typical Silicon Valley VC route. So um, being a Calgary-based business, uh, most of our money has, almost all of our money has come from Calgary-based investors. Uh, for those that don't know, Calgary is a, a, a very um, prominent oil and gas community in Canada. Uh, and, and of course, those individuals are looking to, to diversify uh, their investments. Mm -hmm. And so most of our capital has come from oil and gas people looking to diversify and family offices and really patient right. capital. I, I think patient capital is, is, is um, the most important piece of all of that. And uh, it, it's interesting because you made the comment of, you know, when you have that, that knife to your head or, or whatever, as, as a, as a um, VC funded company. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that's what you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's not to the head, but, uh, but sometimes to, I, to I miss neck. some vocabulary. Except the neck. Thank oh, you. <laughs> that, that knife to the neck, gun to the head. Exactly. Um, that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> I mixed both. <laughs> so, so um, I, 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 I think, uh, uh, yeah, to, to your point about learning the customer, um, the, the downfall of having patient capital, of course, you know, some might say, well, you're not motivated to, to iterate quickly and you're not motivated to, right. to you know, succeed in a, in a fast fashion. Um, the complete opposite side of that is, well, are you doing the wrong things for short-term growth? And are you just doing these things to hit a milestone in order to raise your next tranche capital? Um, and I think what we've done at Zazun is a really balanced approach to both of these. Uh, that allows us to really be customer centric 
build product that a customer likes, find that product market fit um, and, and beyond uh, and do so in a really responsible way that builds a, a good business at its core for you know, the founders, for the, the shareholders, for the, the, the team, um, and of course, our, our customer base. So yeah, we're, we're, we're quite happy to be a Calgary-based company and um, really leaning into that narrative. Right. And, and I was just highlighting that from 2014, 2018, you have kind of in, been in the search mode and kind of going through what I call problem solution feeds and product market feeds. And then from uh, 18 to 21st, you were just saying that you were almost through, through the process of getting to go to market fit and how you will be able to scale up distribution, right? So, and after that, now you are really getting into the scaling up mode. And that's why you are seeing the revenues quadrupling. But before you needed to find product solution fit, product market fit, and go-to-market fit, right? Um, and it's not go-to-market fit in the way that you found that inbound and outbound works. It's really finding a channel that can be really scalable. So uh, a repeatable, profitable, and scalable revenue machine. And that's what, what we were talking about, uh, the unit economics. So this, is, this seems a very simple uh, concept to say, but in practice, finding out uh, all the variables really coming together and, and making the formula work, uh, takes takes some time and in that sense also adding to too many markets too early uh might be uh might be a little bit um, complex you talk about a very important decision which was really to have this courage to start in canada but pivoting to the us as soon you 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 found out that uh, you had the results of in three days that you that you needed in canada for a year or a year and a half which was quite uh, interesting, but you also have the other side of the coin, right? So you needed, you you wanted to expand, or you expanded to Colombia and Australia, and you decided to get back to the core and to focus uh, in in the US again. Can you can you share some of those lessons learned? Yeah, we we entered um, Australia and Colombia by way of a joint venture partnership in twenty end of 2019, beginning of 2020. Mm -hmm. um, so perfect timing with COVID, right? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you, you know, so, so I think there were, were a couple mistakes made. Uh, first of all, I mean, focus is paramount and, and you can hear that a, a million times, but right. until you really experience it and, and self-reflect and experience it again and self-reflect again, um, it, it's really hard for it to take form. And so I think, for us, we, we just didn't really understand how much of a distraction it was. Um, and so we, 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 we went with it, right? Uh, and, and looking back on it, even when you're in, in the situation, you don't think of it as a distraction. You think, ah, oh, you know, like you, you start to justify it to yourself. But in hindsight, you look back and you go, wow, we were very distracted. And every, every minute that wasn't spent on you know, trying to increase conversion and penetration into the United States, of which is a market of 350 million people, we were, we were spending it on this other area. And so like, what a waste of, of ROI, right? Um, now, that being said, Australia and Colombia actually did super, super well. We launched with them in, in a, a very short period of time. We brought on a couple massive clients right away. Um, so the, the plan in Australia and Colombia were, was, was enterprise clients, not SMBs. Um, and so we, we brought on a massive clients really in, in short order. And, uh, and, and we were doing transactions within you know, a couple of months. It, it was beautiful. Um, the second piece where it fell apart. So again, the focus piece and kind of looking back was, mm -hmm. well, even though there's these big companies here, let's look at the market as a whole. How big is Australia really? How big is Colombia really? Yeah. And we're just, we're just scratching the surface on the United States. Like, what are we doing? We, 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 we got to continue in the U.S. So that's one. Two is, is a core value misalignment. Um, we, we did, as I said, the, the Australia and Columbia Ventures in a uh, uh, joint venture partnership. And mm -hmm. there's just a core value misalignment between, between the two business groups. Um, and again, that's something that when you're going through it and and there's, there's money at the table and there's this opportunity for expansion at the table. Right. Um, you start to justify it to yourself and you go, ah, oh, you know, like that red flag isn't as big of a red flag as we're making it out to be. It's probably okay. 
And the thing that we learned was as soon as you find yourself justifying anything as it relates to core values, like, like stop the decision process right there. You, you, you need to run the other way. Um, and, and that for us was, was our two big learnings. And this is incredible. I might connect to things that, that you just said, which, which is maybe when you are going through finding goal to market fit and when you have an opportunity coming sometimes inbound that you are offered as an avenue of growth, it can be very tempting to say yes. And, and at the same time, to be expanding to LATAM, also opening uh, Australia and New Zealand markets. Uh, we are becoming a global company. It seems that uh, we are only in the US now, but the US again is, is more than enough to, to build an $100 million uh, company. So it, it's very difficult to say no or to try to accelerate the process of go-to-market fit by opening new variables. And those variables, as you said, was even changing a bit your go-to-market motion, going to enterprise. So adding a new complexity layer, not only adding a geographical uh, region and a different culture, but also a different segment in terms of size, sizes of the company that you were serving, which again, uh, added even more. The, you, and at the same time, when you are opening a new geo, and uh, with the new ICP, it's again, you come back to problem solution fits and product market fits and, and not to uh, go to market fit, which, which, which is also a, a good reflection to, to make, right? Yeah, Mar Mark Randolph, uh, the founder of Netflix or the co-founder of Netflix, I suppose, he, yep. he had a really good statement, which ironically is called the, the Canada Principle. And the Canada Principle was this this theory or this statement that he made when Netflix was trying to figure out, you know, how do we increase revenues? And of course, it was like, well, we'll just go to Canada. Like that, that's a 10% bump in revenue right there. And what they didn't consider in all of it, and they and they didn't end up launching in Canada at the time. They went through this whole decisioning process. And what they what they sort of didn't see with that initial statement was like, okay, so we're gonna go into Canada. Okay, well now we need uh, different you know, banking relationships, we need uh, different language structure, we need, uh, you know, don't even think about licensing rights and everything like that, like just all the little tactical things that start to add up right. um, was stuff that, again, you, you really justify as not being a big deal. Um, but, but it really is. We, we now get pull all the time from Canada. So as Zazen grows, as earned wage access as an industry grows, mm -hmm. um, we're getting inbounds. We're getting inbounds on a you know, weekly basis, maybe in Canada, okay. um, but they're, they're fairly decently sized companies and it starts to go, well, Hey, like, should we, should we do this? And <laughs> um, it, it's really, really difficult to focus, but you kind of just got to look at the numbers yeah. and you got to go, well, yeah, that's great that we, we had this many employees um, interested this week, but we had twice as many of that interested today alone in the U S. Right. And so like, where, where's our dollar worth more? You got, you got to continue pouring that energy into the US. And that's a, a good point that you just made because sometimes when you talk about focus, uh, sometimes people think about, should I have the decision proactively of adding a new GU or launching a new product or serving a new segment? But in this case is you have money on the table. So you have companies that are telling you I want to buy your product. Would you like to expand? And I'm happy to pay more than your average ticket so you are able to serve me here. And then saying no, when that kind of capital or that kind of revenue would help to achieve targets, that, that's really the, the real proof of focus, right? Not, not the, oh, should we go to Australia or should we go to Colombia or should we go to Latam? No, you have customers that are calling you I want your product here and I'm happy to buy as much as you want uh, or to pay as much as you want. And, and, and there will be a day where that makes sense. Right. Um, but, but in the short term, uh, yeah, you just got to keep reminding yourself, like what's the opportunity cost both from a, from a return on investment, but also a pure economics play. Like um, yes, we have pull, but what's it going to cost us to service this customer? And then what's the opportunity cost of serving this customer above and beyond our U S mm -hmm. customers. Um, and, and it just, it just comes down to business case. And that, that is 
that is needed sometimes to really maintain that focus. Because if you don't have that, it really can become an emotional decision and emotional decisions um, can be poor, right? Exactly. Great point. So let's let's go. Let's move to to the fundraising uh, topic. So you have you had different moments um, across the. We we already covered those, but um, on the forty million plus dollars raise it. Uh, what are, what have been the main lessons learned on on that on those um, funds raise it? Um, you know like. So, so like I said, we're we're not a typical Silicon Valley uh, uh, seed Series A, Series B, right. so on and so forth type company. Um, we, we've we've roughly followed that path, of course, but a lot of the playbook that we put forth isn't completely relatable. Um, so, I'm 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 cautious of offering too many learnings, but I suppose. What, what we've learned is just like, um, A, when, when there's money there, take it. Uh, like, like, don't try to be greedy in, in certain aspects. Like when money's on the table, take it. Um, understand what, what values you're willing, or not values, understand what, um, what pieces you're willing to flex on and what pieces you aren't. Uh, because typically, you know, when you raise money, it comes with a slew of, of uh, contingencies and, and, and various things. And, you just need to really know, like, before you get into that discussion, what what do I want? What don't I want? Um, the investor themselves. So a lot of people are focused on uh, the the fund that's investing, or um, yeah, where that capital is coming from. But mm -hmm. I think putting that emphasis more so on the actual person that you're dealing with, because that's the person that is really going to become your trusted advisor um, is going to be like in the trenches with you when you're trying to decide what to do. And they're trying to also decide as, as a shareholder of the company, but as like, as an investor of the company, um, what you should be doing. Right. And you want to make sure that those incentives or those values are aligned there quite well. Um, yep. And then the other thing that we've done in, in all of this is, is we've sought out specific people that make really good sense for our board of directors. Um, and, and made sure that we have a, a board that is very much so complementary in different aspects. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I have much much more to add than that, to, to be honest. No, and, and that's perfect. So we, we see that two of the main moments of uh, capital raised were in 2019, uh, 15 million dollar uh, rounds, and, and then in August of 22, uh, a 13 million plus a 12.5 million uh, rounds and I think that you said something really important is uh, which is don't be greedy when investors come to invest on, on, on your company but I think that you focus it on the right it seems what I'm what I'm listening is you focus much more on delivering results and then on achieving milestones for the company and then investment and fundraising is a consequence of that and then it's about uh, analyzing if you are, uh, what are the investors that you will pick because you have the metrics and the investors want to invest. It seems that 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 has been kind of your philosophy leading the company. So what is the next stage of growth? What we need to crack next? And then the the the, the metrics start coming, especially at Series A and Series B and, and this amount uh, of rounds that we are talking, 15 million, 25 million. Uh, you really need to to show the metrics, and investors will be uh, will be interested if if you have the metrics. So if they invest, it's because you have the metrics. It's not about only the vision. Of course, you need to still have a great story, a great vision for the future, a great time, etc. But it's much more about the metrics. Are the metrics uh, coherent with your storytelling or not? Right. A hundred percent. Yeah, we always talk about just build the best company. Um, and, and, and that creates optionality, right? Exactly. Um, so, so don't try to get, don't try to get too cute with it. Don't try to get too fancy with it, build yep. the best company, focus on the customer and, um, have an awesome time doing it and, and you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. Yeah.
Evolving to team and culture, uh, as I said, you you apply the the Rockefeller habits and all those practices that I that I love to implement in companies as well. And something that I really enjoy that uh, some companies, some some coaches are able to implement that, and some are not uh, able to because we know it's it's hard to have a, a daily. But something that I really love that you shared with me uh, before the call is that you have a global daily for the entire team. Can you share a little bit more about, about that daily and why it is important? Why have you implemented it and how it is structured? Yeah, certainly. So we, we have a, a daily scrum, as we call it, or a daily stand-up. Um, and, and yeah, all, all 80 members of the team are on that every single morning. It kicks off at 9 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. It goes for 15 minutes and it follows the structure of, all right, team-wide announcements. So anyone can throw their hand up in the meeting. Anyone can say, uh, you know, I have an announcement. And the, the, the purpose of a team-wide announcement is really something that touches the entire team. Um, it can be a, a, a significant new feature that was launched. It can be, um, you know, performance management that's being rolled out. It can be, you know, one of, one of a thousand different things. Um, and so you'll have a couple of people throw their hands up for that. And then it filters to the person presenting for that day. And so we filter through each team function every single day. Um, so today it might be uh, development pod A. Uh, tomorrow might be, you know, um, the finance function. The next day it might be legal and regulatory. The next day it might be, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and they, they provide a, call it seven, eight minute presentation. Mm -hmm. Uh, that basically just goes into like, hey, here's what's up in this section of the company right now. And here's why this is important for everyone else. And here's why this is important to Zazen. And so we, we make sure that it really always comes back to that alignment to the broader vision and broader goals of, of what the company is trying to achieve. Um, and, and this is all about giving context, right? So when you're a, when, as your team grows, uh, especially as your team grows remotely, like the worst thing that can happen in my mind is, is that loss of context. And so we, we put forth this meeting just for that. We then finish it off with shout outs and stuffs. And so a shout out is um, someone wants to shout someone out based on, the, based on displaying our core values. And so I might want to give a shout out uh, you know, to John for displaying the core value of trust um, our, four core, our four core values are hustle, mastery, trust, and people-driven. And each mm -hmm. one of them has a little bit of a story that goes with it as well. Um, again, to provide a little bit more context, but um, I'm going to give him a, a shout out for trust because he did X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z, this is important because it helps us get closer to this goal that we're trying to achieve as a company. Um, mm -hmm. And so again, I'm going to shout him out for this. So shout outs is acting as that reinforcement of our core values, that reinforcement of context, and that reinforcement of an update in a really succinct way. And then we finish off with stucks. And again, a stuck cannot be, um, hey, uh, you know, I need help with this one thing. Uh, do you mind just pinging me after? Because that tells the rest of the team nothing, right? Um, and so a stuck must be high, like I'm stuck in this area, the reason it's important for me to get unstuck from this area is because of this. Um, mm -hmm. A person that I think might be good to help me with this is, you know, this person, can you come give me a hand? Amazing. And so it's, again, very, very uh, intentful. I don't think that's a word, but it has a lot of intent behind each of those phrasings. Amazing the, the way you structure the daily and uh, how many goals you are able to fulfill with, with a simple uh, daily. And again, it's it's not only about the daily, which is which is great. It's it's again the way you you are structuring the daily and, and uh, all the the goals you are fulfilling with with that daily and also how it helps you being a remote first company to keep everyone on the loop. Uh, and also to strengthen strengthening the culture, which is something difficult uh, sometimes in a in a remote setting, right? Yeah, and I think that everyone joining at, at the at, uh, some some might be listening and thinking, oh, uh, it might be a little bit boring to join every morning, but at the same time, it can be super exciting because you feel part 
of a team. You feel part of a mission. You feel part of a vision. You feel part of a BI. It is much more about the way you lead it and the way you structure it. And something that I also like about your model is that everyone will participate and will give visibility and context to what is happening in different areas of the company. And it will not be always the, the founders or the CEO presenting an update from what happened in, in the uh, yesterday and what is the focus for for today and where are you where are we stuck kind of a, a crisis <laughs> management uh daily right a hundred percent and it gives people yeah like you said the opportunity to to talk to the rest of the team and exactly. um the other thing that it gives is is to, to certain people right like if if i'm someone at an organization that has a goal, a personal goal of being better at public speaking. I mean, what better avenue or what exactly. better forum to get better at public speaking than to say to your manager, hey, I want to take this scrum update today. Is that okay? Um, okay, then you know, he or she does a scrum update and then send a survey out to a couple people afterwards. Slack them and say, hey, how was that? Can you give me some critical feedback? Like yep. it, it's this beautiful forum of, of continuous learning. Um, which is again, like mastery is one of our core values and, and we try to enforce that or we try to reinforce that. We need to have you back to to talk about how you implement the other Rockefeller habits. But I, I think that the, the daily story was quite amazing and especially because you also shared how you structure it. So, so in that sense, people can have a, a pragmatic way of how to structure their dailies if you want to try um, at your company. Highly recommend it. And let's go to the last segment of the show, Tate, where I ask you a, a quick question and we do hear ping pong of questions and answers. Uh, if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with Tate uh, in at the beginning of uh, Zayzun in 2014, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Um, I know that this is like a hypothetical question because my 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 first answer that comes to mind is I would say just keep doing what you're doing because I think everything has turned out so, so well. And um, I think it's like all part of the learning experience. Um, if we're wanting to be fun and have that, you know, hypothetical conversation. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, like I think there is a, a, a very big confidence mismatch. Um, and so I don't know exactly what advice it would have been, but it would have been just around like gaining confidence. Uh, at the time I I'd moved out to Calgary, I was, you know, fresh year. Um, I was trying to figure out like my way as an entrepreneur. And I think for anyone that's kind of been in that situation for the first, however long until you actually have a real company, it's sort of this like, okay, so you're just unemployed. What are you working on? Right. It's a really <laughs> awkward conversation to have as, young, as a young person. And I, I imagine even as, as an older person, it's, it's an awkward yeah. conversation to have at like a dinner party or anything else. And so I definitely wore that um, or I felt as though I wore that like lack of confidence on my face. Uh, and so I think just like figuring out how to be more confident in that regard, um, what would be good. Uh, you just described it, imposter syndrome, what, <laughs> yeah. we, what we all face as entrepreneurs, right? And uh, as anyone who is trying to do something new, uh, that, that, that's, that's really uh, difficult to go through that. Great one. What are you the most proud of on your journey so far? So we did a RV tour across America last year, and by far that is the coolest, proudest moment that I've had at Zayzun. Um, for context, we, we, we took an RV, completely Zayzun branded. We drove it from California to New York. It took us 75 awesome. days. Um, it was a long, long journey. We <laughs> went to 21 different states, but the whole intent of this was to, to visit customers, you know, whether that be employees that are using us, their employer and payroll companies along the way. And we held appreciation events. We did customer interviews. We watched people use the app and troubleshooted it on the spot. And so I brought along uh, 40 Zazun team members for different parts of the journey. We'd, we'd fly them into different cities and, um, and, and, you know, we'd be there for a couple, two, three days uh, and just have these interactions. And for me, it was just like this really proud moment of like, wow, we've actually built a company that is like, we, we built a really cool company. We built a company that has such a, such an amazing culture internally. 
And then to be able to like talk to customers in real life and see like how much we've actually impacted their lives and then see the, the, the team members that might not have ever talked to a customer before see their reaction to these conversations. It was just like this Important. confluence of, of amazing events. Awesome. Worst advice ever received? Worst advice ever received? Um, oh, gosh. I don't know. Um, Sounds great. I, you are of, of the school that you forget the, the, the advice that is not good. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, actually, I, I got one. I got one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Worst advice I ever received was just like in, in that same moment, you know, trying to figure out the path of, of being an entrepreneur and what I'm doing and everything else. Uh, I was told to be, to, to go get a job at a bank, be a bank teller, because in 20 years you could actually be managing the bank. And that's a really solid career. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> and another resource is your favorite book, business or non-business. Yeah. Favorite non-business book is the Institute by Stephen King. Uh, I, I randomly found it on a bookshelf at a Mexican hotel two years ago. And I devoured it in a couple of days and it put me on this entire path of, of Stephen King reading. And up until mm -hmm. that point, I, I never really read fiction a whole lot. So that was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, Non-business or uh, business, sorry. Uh, I really like Shoe Dog. Um, mm -hmm. It's the, the Nike, Nike story. Right. Um, I just think it's like a, it's a simple read, um, but really powerful read. I've read that one and it's it's very inspiring the the story and what he he went through. Favorite movie or series? Uh The Office. I'm I'm curious. I don't know that one. Cool. The The Office? No, I need I You need don't know to, The Office. I need oh to wow. Go see that one. Okay. Yeah, The, the Office. Office it's it's it, it's a series. Um and and there's a UK and and an American, so the American is is the best. Um mm -hmm. In, in my opinion, uh, the UK, I think, was only around for one season. But yeah, The Office. Uh, movie? Um, I'm a, I, I really like Blow. Uh, Johnny Depp. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. But any, so, any true, any true kind of crime movies? Yeah. I, I, or true crime. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, your favorite podcasts, excluding this one. Oh, excluding this one. Um, I, Tim Ferriss, love Tim Ferriss. He's, he's such an incredible interviewer, uh, such solid guests. Um, another one that I've been latching on to recently is the diary of a CEO. Yep. Um, great also, also a great interviewer and, uh, some good guests. That's great. Tate, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, congrats for your journey so far. And you are always invited to come back to update us on the next chapters. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. That was great. Thank you. It's into our community. Thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your company. See you soon and keep scaling.